Hello, this is Patrick, and it's time for Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Brought to you by thepracticalherbalist.com and sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, your source for high-quality, organic, bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. Visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. One of the things I love about herbs and herbalism is that it's so practical and so real. Mm-hmm. Today we have with us a guest, Candace Cook, who is a Southeast um, herbalist. Mm-hmm. And she is also a hiker fresh off the trail who used her herbalism skills as she was hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Welcome, Candace. Thank you. Hi. Hi. I am excited to hear about what kind of herbalism you were doing, what plants you were running into. I've got about a thousand questions about herbalism and the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. So start with telling us the basics. Like, number one, what made you decide? You took seven weeks? Yes. You did. This is not just (laughs) trotting around with a day pack. This is a huge event. What got into your head that this was going to be what you did? Well, I had the opportunity. It was the right time, and it's something I'd always wanted to do. Um, I had like this interesting situation in the middle of the night where I said to myself, all I want to do is hike and write, you know, and see plants. How am I going to do it? And I heard, just do it, just do it. So I figured out how to make it happen. Uh, it was really just the right time. I had, I had no real obligation to a career. I was in a transitory time, so Mm -hmm. I could just go to the East coast and take seven weeks to hike the Virginia section of the Appalachian Trail, which is a quarter of the trail. So how many miles did you end up covering? I covered about 560 miles. That's a lot of hiking. It was. It was fantastic. What was your day average? What was it like for you know an average day? I, I think my average was about 12 miles a day, but some days I did you know 17 or 18 miles. The most I think I did was almost 19 miles. And then... I had a few days where they were just easy days where five miles or six miles. Hmm. So I imagine hills were a part of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots of hills. It's, it's a very um, different terrain from what we have out here in the Cascades. What's it, it look like? It's, so the highest point in Virginia is 5,500 feet. That's Mount Rogers. Mm-hmm. And I think when I climbed South Sister here in Oregon, that was like base base camp. <laughs> we climbed up another 5,000 feet to get to the top. But it's, you know, there's a lot of really beautiful ridges that are kind of flat and, and gentle rolling, but then you have some crazy up and down, you know, gaining 3,000 feet in two or three miles. Mm-hmm. So it varied, you know, it's, it wasn't, wasn't all the same every day. It was always different. And that was one of the most amazing things. Like at any time you look around and you're like, I haven't seen anything like this yet. You know, the plants were different, the rocks were different, the soil was different, the smell was different, the weather. I mean, it was variable. Wow. It was awesome. Wow. Yeah. And you were just gone just a little less than two months, so mm-hmm. got to see a bit of a change in season. But... I saw the most gorgeous transformation from summer to fall that I've ever seen in my life. And I grew up on the East Coast, but when you're underneath the trees and you can see them changing, the veins changing colors in the maples. and Right. As opposed to just driving by it. Yeah. When I started, it was all green, and then it just gradually changed. And then when I felt came off the trail, all the leaves were on the ground already. We were walking mm-hmm. through the leaf litter. 
So nice. it was really the whole transformation of fall. So did you go on your own or did you have company? I started out on my own and I hiked a couple of weeks by myself. And then my mom hiked with me for four or five days. Mm-hmm. Her first time ever hiking. And wow. she did a fantastic job. Good for her. Yeah, it was great. Yay. And then I had a friend that I've known for quite some time who hiked the last four weeks with me. Nice. Yeah. Now, are there little huts set up for people to camp in, or you're all tent camping the whole time? I primarily tent camped, but Mm -hmm. there are shelters along the way, um, mostly 5 to 15 miles between each other. Mm -hmm. So that's really nice to have as a destination point, because at every shelter, there's tent campsites. There's a privy, so you can sit on a toilet. (laughs) There there are fire rings. Uh, There's always water at the shelter so you know like i've got 16 miles today how much water do i need right yeah before i can get more right so there's a lot of water on the appalachian trail which is a really great thing i I think in a lot of other places it's more scarce but we only had one day with a water issue Uh uh-huh and you just didn't go to that it, the, the sources were dry. Oh. Um, and we were lucky, too, because we got warned. We stopped at one place to get water, and all these hikers coming the direction we were headed were like, there's no water for 12 miles. <laughs> we're like, oh, no. So we ended up carrying the water filter. In addition to our packs, we had another three or four liters just in case there was no water where we were going. Mm-hmm. Ended up pouring that night, and the spring felt filled up, and we oh, were totally okay. fine. <laughs> wow, that was lucky. <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. You never know. Right. Yeah. Better safe than sorry. Had you done a lot of research before you went on your trip? Oh, yeah. I did. I spent a couple of months planning it. Mm-hmm. So... What were the emergencies that you were desperately trying to avoid that other people that you didn't really run into or other people were telling you about? Or Oh, man. So many people were like, are you taking a gun? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not taking a gun. It's too heavy. Right. You know, right. You're carrying everything on your back. A gun is just way too heavy. And then... Do people do that? They hike with their guns? They do. Fear. People are so afraid. Uh-huh. I got a, I probably had six or seven people ask me if I was taking a gun and make an offer for me to take their gun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone who doesn't know how to work guns is going to be wandering around with a gun. Yeah. That's Lovely. a little sketchy. You didn't really run into any trouble, though, no, right? No. I mean, but I know you had a few nights where you were dealing with some pretty serious fear, mm-hmm. despite the lack of actual nothing you know, happened nothing <laughs> it was all in my brain you yeah. know my mind was going crazy because i was lonely that was the hardest oh, okay. part when i was alone i mean i love solitude i love hiking alone but when you're hiking alone for a week and you only see a few people and they're not at your campsites your mind's like oh my gosh you know what could happen to me right. out here your imagination runs wild mm-hmm. but nothing yeah. i never felt threatened um not even with other campers running around with guns that didn't no, no. because there <laughs> I didn't see many if you carry a gun you're the crazy person on the trail yes, and all the right, other hikers right, right. are like oh that person has a gun it's kind of yeah. crazy whatever people did, I saw a few people you know with guns on their hips whatever it doesn't mm-hmm. bother me I just think it's unnecessary mm-hmm. it's really right. unnecessary people are really afraid of bears Sure. You know, what if, what if a bear yeah. t- attacks you? Or are you going to shoot? How are you going to shoot a bear? Yeah, you well, had, I have bear spray. I have you, mace. You had a bear experience, but it was really positive. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And I'd had a certain level of anxiety before I saw it. But when I finally saw the first bear, it was 
it was at a time where I was feeling very low. I was in a lot of physical pain, wondering if I could do this, mm. trying to figure out why, you know, oh, I never finish anything. Is this psychological why I'm having this pain? And then this bear popped out of the woods, and it was so gorgeous. I felt like it looked through me, mm. you know, mm. and I was like, oh, wow. And I just started crying, and I was so happy. How so close was the bear to you? Probably about 20 feet away. Yeah, wow. it was just trotting Trotting by. Yeah, just oh. eating acorns probably. Popped out onto the trail. We looked at each other and it just jumped back into the woods. Black bear, mm-hmm. I assume? Black bears. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're gorgeous. They look like giant teddy bears. I mean, really. They're so Aww. cute. They're just like, they oh. <laughs> they behave like cats. They're kind of skittish. Yeah, they have a strong mm-hmm. history of being like the medicine people of the animal world. Mm-hmm. With multiple cultures. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Ursa. Mm-hmm. Ursa, right? Yeah. 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 What other kind of wildlife did you see where you were out there? A lot of snakes. Oh, yeah. Lots mm. of different kinds of snakes. That was cool. Poisonous ones? Copperheads. We saw a couple Ooh, those copperheads. Are poisonous. Mm-hmm. I never scary. saw any rattlesnakes, which I kind of wanted to see because rattlesnakes hang out around American ginseng. So mm. I was hoping that, you know, I would be guided to the ginseng from mm-hmm. the rattlesnake or if I saw a rattlesnake maybe there would be ginseng near it or you know I, I assumed I would see some but I didn't see the any. bear sent the word out this is an herbalist rattlesnakes if you want to protect your ginseng <laughs> stay <laughs> off the trail that is that's one of the ones you did not see the whole time right? I know I didn't and at first I was like I'm gonna be so sad if I don't see it but I, I really felt peaceful about it by the end it's it was just not meant to reveal itself to me yet so mm-hmm. but a whole ton of others reveal yes. themselves like they sure did oh my goodness where would i even start oh you have a list i have a <laughs> list um, i guess i'll talk about solomon seal first because that was really the most useful one that i was able to use i never harvested solomon seal before i'd used it as a tincture topically and internally mm-hmm. for you know, ligament, bone pain. Oh, so you saw it on the trail, and you mm-hmm. just harvested there and then used it there on the trail. Mm-hmm. Did so, you use it for your knee? I used it for my friend's knee, Turtle. Oh, nice. That's his trail name. Okay. Um, he developed an IT band issue, which I also had when I first started, but there was no Solomon seal where I started. Uh-huh. But by the, I know, by the time we he came along, he got the same IT band issue. Apparently, it's very common for people when you start doing long-distance hiking. Hmm. Your IT band gets really tight, and your knee just kills. And so wow. we found Solomon seal. And multiple times we would harvest the whole plant. At that time, I wasn't sure if you could use the leaf and the root, but just the roots, the medicinal part. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would get to camp, and I would get him to chew it up. So he would chew up the Solomon seal root. It's got a nice flavor. It's got a really nice flavor. It's really mucilaginous. Mm -hmm. Um, So then we would put some warm water in there, heat it up on the camping stove, and he would poultice it. Mm, and then nice. once the poultice cooled down, he would take more of the hot liquid that was left and mm-hmm. rub it on, and then he was also drinking it. Nice. Nice. It was awesome. And it worked quickly for worked him? Worked quickly. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. So with all that mucilaginous properties, does it make kind of a thick and gooey tea? Mm-hmm. It does. So it's, it's kind of sweet tasting. So okay. I imagine it's pretty good for your digestive system, mm-hmm. too. Probably. Like yeah. marshmallow. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I also saw growing out there. Oh, yeah, sure. Marshmallow. Did you guys use marshmallow at all? I didn't, I didn't use it because I only saw a few specimens. The Solomon seal was in abundance. <laughs> it was everywhere. And nice. it was growing near um, false Solomon seal grows out oh, there, too. Yeah. And right. they're really close to identical. Totally different uses medicinally. Right. But we had to... Different genus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We didn't 
we didn't harvest any Solomon seal with the intention of using it this way unless we could see the berries or the flowers or where the flowers had been on the For plant. For it to identify so pictures, know. yeah. Because that's really the only way. Like, the stems are a little a little different, but it can be tricky. So mm, right. we only use the ones for, like, okay, we know where the flowers were on this. Because on the false Solomon seal, the flowers are terminal, so they're at the end. Mm-hmm. And on Solomon seal, I don't like plant names having false in front of them. It's kind I of know. sad. <laughs> well, I'll just call that one Smilacina because that's the genus but anyway um the solomon seals plants grow or flowers and berries come like between the leaves so they hang down so that was that was a good indicator Mm -hmm. yeah that one was the most useful we ate dandelion root and leaf we made the tea we were hoping to get a little bit of a detox in and it was really nice to eat it because we didn't have access to fresh greens out there right you know we're eating a lot of processed foods things that we wouldn't eat in our (laughs) normal life ironic right you're out in the nature on the trail you would think the food should somehow be more organic or something yeah no tried. We tried. Right. We ate pretty well, I think. We weren't eating ramen every day and Oreos. Like, some people, mm-hmm. we saw that's all they ate. We're like, oh, dandelion. Let's get some dandelion. And we, so we make the tea and then eat it, too. Yeah. Nice. Dandelion <laughs> yeah. cook up pretty good the ramen. The too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. with the ramen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should try that. Delicious. <laughs> I wish we'd seen more. Um, because I could have eaten it every day. Mm-hmm. The root's really good, too. The fall mm. roots are really sweet. Mm, yeah. So, inulin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a little bitter, but also sweet. It was really great. Mm-hmm. We saw tons of plantain, both a major and lanceolata, mm-hmm. both species everywhere, everywhere, which was really great. I saw this one hiker. Oh, it's so sad. It's hard to even think about. But she had terrible chafing on her hips. On a really mm. rainy day. Oh. So from her backpack? From the pack, from oh. the hip belt. And I saw her at the camp that night, and she's peeling duct tape off of... <gasps> oh. And I was like, what Ouchie. She's duct taping right over open... What a pioneer. Blisters. Oh. Yeah. So I gave her a salve that I had. I was like, put this, clean it out, put this on there. I mean, it was red... Six inches tall and six oh inches wide, oozing, gross, oh. bruise. Oh, it was so terrible. She was oh, not so having sad. a good day. Yeah, so the salve I gave her had calendula and plantain and comfrey. Mm-hmm. But then I, I saw her at the next camp and I said, look, let me help you identify plantain so that as you see it, you could just put it. You know, right. you can oh, do a poultice yeah. with it, but put that under the duct tape. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, protect just keep it. Yeah. it there. Yeah. So she was really excited about that. Plantain was everywhere. I told a lot of people about it. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to identify, too, those yeah. Oh, yeah. ribby leaves. And, it's so easy. And, and so abundant. Oh, yeah. My child yeah. used to tell the other playground kids anytime they got boo owies. Oh, let's go. And then yeah. he'd show them how to use the plantain. Any kind of, yeah. any kind of inflammation. It's good stuff. So what else did you see out there? We saw a lot of wood sorrel, oh, okay. which we didn't really use a lot, but every day or so we would probably Nibble. take a few nibbles of it. It's just sure. really energizing. It's so mm-hmm. lemony and tasty that we were mm-hmm. like, ooh, wood sorrel, let's take some. There was some chickweed, mm-hmm. and we saw wild persimmons, which was really cool. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. We saw, I saw blue cohosh, which was pretty exciting for me so because pretty. I'd never seen it, and I was like, 
Wow. Was it blooming at the time? Or? It had berries on it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Did is you the take blue one endangered? I think the black one is endangered, isn't it? I think the blue one is threatened as well. Yeah, they're they're both ones to watch. But yeah. they're both, well, the black kawash is not difficult to grow, so. Okay. Yeah, you can get it easily. So it's maybe it's the blue grown. one that I'm thinking of. Yeah, it's... I've never grown that before. I have black kawash grown in my yard. And it's a pretty little plant. It's a beautiful. It? Yeah, I've noticed that now garden shops are starting to Maybe offer it's the that. Maybe that I was thinking of uh-huh. then. But that would be good if garden shops beautiful. can help us with these medicinal herbs and turn them into. Even if people are just growing them because they're pretty, that's medicine too. Right. That's true. Absolutely. That's true. Spirit mm-hmm. medicine. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of mullen, which <laughs> oh, was great. I bet you did. Lots of mullen, <laughs> which is good because. <laughs> Indian toilet paper. You know, you're, you're hiking. You don't have. Yeah. You don't have a lot of toilet. Like you don't want to leave toilet paper in the woods. That's right. just totally that's unacceptable. Yeah. yeah. There you but go. Melon's really go. soft. It's so soft. It's so yeah. soft. Yeah. I read something in my early days of herbalism that said you could use mullen leaves as insoles. And I tried oh. that, and that is not true at all. <laughs> I mean, you could if you're sitting on the couch and not putting pressure on it, but that is a plan. Squish and it, it right took, up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that was a nice idea. I mean, that's what I thought. When I had that, you had your facial expression, your eyes got all bright. Mullen oh, insoles, yeah. soft and fuzzy, but not in real life. Yeah, okay, I'll keep <laughs> so that in mind. So. Yeah. My arch is actually collapsed while I was out there so I had oh. to spend like $50 on some new insoles for my oh. shoes <laughs> I wish I had tried some mullen yeah you yeah. should just pack a bunch just of mullen pack it in, in there. there use that as your arch support <laughs> right. that's right so I saw some common things too uh, like red clover right. yarrow uh, a lot of thistles. Goldenrod was abundant, and oh, it was nice. really cool because the goldenrod, it was everywhere. But sure. I noticed in this one area, it was like a kidney garden. There was goldenrod and horsetail and yarrow all growing really close together. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was a boggy area, mm-hmm. you know. It was, nice. it was near like a footbridge uh, going over a flooded, boggy area. It's cool. I like to look at how plants are growing together and... They're all growing in this similar area. They're all used for something similar. You right. know, what does that mean? We should pay more attention to that. I saw a jewelweed. Are you oh, familiar pretty sure. With yeah, we got some of that out here. People say it's really good for um, poison oak. Poison it's, oak and I mean, ivy. Not, not my experience with the um, stuff growing out here. It might be not as potent as what oh. y'all have on the, yeah. on the East Coast. I, I used it for poison sumac. Oh, you got into some of that? I you ran out of Mullen. But and... that was in, in Arizona, actually, a few years ago. Oh. I got lucky. I didn't get any poison ivy. Nice. nice. No blisters. Not a no single blisters. blister. Nice. But I found out my friend Turtle worked for the uh, park service in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this, but poison ivy grows in three different ways. There's a little plant near the ground. Mm-hmm. And then there's the flower. All of these are con- highly contagious to people Mm -hmm. and then there's this other form of it that grows like it's like a vine that grows up a tree it's like Mm. a fuzzy thick vine i saw one that was as big around as my arm wow and apparently if you touch that you get get the the dermatitis yeah the oils Mm. are all over it and i had never known that before Wow. So it's kind of protecting the tree as well it's kind of weird right that's cool what kind of tree it was growing on 
I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. I saw it several times. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it was always the same tree. Deciduous. Probably deciduous. Is, is that what you see mostly on the trail there? It's mostly mm-hmm. deciduous. Mostly. There are quite a bit of pine trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, there. It was really incredible. At the, the highest point, uh, Virginia Mount Rogers, is 5,500 feet. Mm-hmm. And at the top is a spruce fir forest, oh. which is incredible. Oh, wow. I've never seen spruces or firs growing wild in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And it looked like Oregon. Oh, it was really wild. <laughs> yeah, it was like a fairyland. Um, that's pretty important because these spruce fir forests, they, these two trees grow together all the time. It's a Fraser fir and the red spruce, and it's a very threatened ecosystem. It only grows in Appalachia, mm-hmm. and there's only five of these forests left oh, on, wow. in all of Appalachia. Because what an amazing mining. thing to have had a chance to see that then. Yeah. Uh, wow. I know, and there was snow up there. It was, it was oh. a really special place. Nice. Yeah. Why are they so threatened? Is it... Mining, mountaintop mm. removal, just... Right. Why would you remove the top of a mountain? Ugh. That just sounds insane. I mean, coal. Money. Big money. Coal. No. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. They're still going after the coal. That's right. <laughs> yeah. No good. Now they're putting Sad. in a pipeline or talking about a pipeline. and mm. It's mm. just... They start some th- fracking in there just to fracking. stir that right. up. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's still good for the too. water. Yeah, no. and it, there's a really strong resistance to these things in good. the Appalachian communities. You know, oh, I bet they've had good. enough. They good. have had enough. You know, contaminated water, trying to get the rights to go through people's land to build a pipeline. Mm-hmm. This oil that they're trying to get, they're going to ship to China too, just like our American oh, ginseng. God. We're totally mm-hmm. now we're Why supporting are we the Chinese <laughs> yeah. economy. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really crazy. So you're talking about that spruce and pine forest. Mm-hmm. And spruce and fir. fir, fir spruce and mm-hmm. fir. Yeah. So what other kind of trees, like tree medicine that you saw out there? Birch was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, there's birch everywhere. And birch is also a really great fire starting tree. Oh, yeah. So there's a bunch of birch trees that had fallen, and the bark, it just peels, it peels off, off so yeah, nicely, absolutely. and it's mm-hmm. the best tender. Right. It's really great yeah. tender, so it's very practical out there. You know, yeah. I was always, like, finding it and stuffing my pockets full of it. Mm-hmm. Even when it's wet, it'll light a fire, nice. and it's oh, fast. Nice. Mm-hmm. nice. I wasn't really sure. I kind of wanted to harvest some of the bark to use medicinally, but mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it was that outer bark or the, the layer just under it. I've never harvested birch bark. So I wasn't sure. Yeah, normally and we use birch a lot in our clinic, and um, we use the buds, which we'll collect them, and then they pop open after they're fully dry. And then we also use the leaves, and we have used the bark, but we're peeling it. Okay. So it's the under, the yeah, inner bark. Yeah, right? that's what we're, we're that's using. That's kind of what but, I thought. But it's such a, I mean, in this area, the Pacific Northwest, there's a there's a whole bunch of birch running around. So right, when you so did that, it was to... like after a big windstorm and exactly. a bunch of branches and things came down. Yeah, we're so. not cutting down branches that we're kind of you know, we are taking branches that have already blown mm-hmm. down, and that we're using it mostly in our foot clinic. Because uh, of course, working with a gun house, you you know feet are pretty either brutalized by a trench foot or by frostbite. Oh. So it really does such a good job of revitalizing the the skin, not in the way that comfrey does, but taking out all the bacterial infections so that that skin can grow back and you start getting more circulation. And cool. it's just a fabulous, fabulous tree. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put a little yeah. note next to that. Yeah, we love birch. Mm-hmm. There was some white oak. 
out there. There are a lot of trees that I've just, I don't know what their medicine is yet. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the field guide we were using focused mostly on flowering plants and using the flowers to identify the plants so we weren't we didn't really get a lot about the trees but (laughs) which which field guide were you using was it peterson it was a peterson field guide written by foster and duke right they're fabulous Mm -hmm. they are fabulous i love them i love how they write i love Mm -hmm. their description photographs the photos are really great yeah stephen foster's photographs are barna and Mm -hmm. they're just wonderful yeah yeah, I, I, I'm just starting to get more involved in tree medicine, learning more about that. You know, the just defers turning that into teas and throwing the bay leaves into our foot bath tea mm-hmm. and and yeah. drinking a good good um, Douglas fir um, needle. Oh yeah, tree. and the sap Chip. is medicinal from that too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, I mean, we're, I'm just using it like immune bister when when the allergies start to hit, like kind of now and uh, at the point where. I start to feel like my immune system is, is kind of going downhill a little bit, and I need more vitamin C. Oh. Then I'm using that. Just, oh, there's so much in trees that we mm-hmm. kind of ignore as herbalists. Yeah. They're not really farm plants. Right. And they yeah. take a long time to grow. They yeah. do. <laughs> they sure do. They do. So. They sure do. But just sitting next to a tree is medicine, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very true. But it's uh, if you've got it in your backyard, then you've got a cedar Cedars oh, yeah. are fabulous. Mm-hmm. Did you, do you have cedars there cedars, in the Appalachian? Mm-hmm. Cedars, hickory, elm, um, hemlock. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of troublesome. We read, there's a magazine called Appalachian Voices. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a radical magazine that's really accessible to all the people who live there. And it talks about issues that are going on with the environment and other things. But they had a section on invasive species and like what's happening to trees in Appalachia. Hmm. So there's a beetle that came from Japan, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. in a 10 year period, the hemlock species like was reduced by 80%. Oh, wow. Like Dutch elm disease. Kind of like that. Devastated. Mm -hmm. That's a pity. Beetle. Mm -hmm. Beetles coming from everywhere. Yeah. So now they don't know what to do. Pesticides are the only, the only option Mm. they're really exploring. Great. Yeah, there might be other options, but they're just not looking at them right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they've done other things that have been mildly successful. We had problems with uh, in- invasive uh, herbs like St. John's wort. Mm-hmm. And so the, the Forestry Service, I believe it was the Forestry Service, in, uh, released the Klamath beetle, which uh, I believe is a yeah. European beetle. And so now you just go through these places and you see St. John's wort blooming, and it's just full of Klamath beetles and you kind of shake those off and use it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, if that's what you're using, okay, that's fine. I just don't know what kind of effect invasive um, insects have on. That's my point yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. It's like, let's introduce another invasive creature to get rid of something invasive. It's, I don't know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, you just don't have the know. enemies. So we had a, uh, in the United States, there's one tree that they brought in from Europe back in Jonestown or whatever. Uh, one of Jamestown, Jonestown. Mm-hmm. That was a different story. <laughs> uh, the Jamestown settlement and that tree species now has like five um, caterpillars that will eat from its leaves, and it's been there for 500 years. And that's you know it, it, evolution is slow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. 
So, okay, so before we run out of time, I got to mm-hmm. ask about the mushrooms. Did you okay. see the mushrooms? I did. Where are the mushrooms? What were they? Okay, <laughs> so unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know a lot of them, but I did see reishi mushrooms. No way. Okay. Yes, I saw reishi mushrooms. I saw maitake mushrooms, mm-hmm. oh, which beautiful. they grow on the oaks. The reishis, they seem to grow on several different trees, but mm-hmm. the, the maitakes grew on the oaks. Um, were you doing any harvesting at the time? Not of mushrooms. Okay. No, I, you have to have a permit for that, don't you, on the trail? I know you do. You're not supposed to harvest anything on the trail. Okay. <laughs> oh, we have ratted you out on the air. Oh, here. no, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not worried about it. Uh, I wouldn't harvest American ginseng. You know, you you have right. to have a license for that. Yeah, right, right. For I didn't reason. see any, but... Um, you're a birch bark collector. I'm a birch yeah. bark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fires. But I, I did hear, I met several people who harvested chicken of the woods mushroom oh, and okay. cooked them over the campfire, which uh-huh. is pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't see yummy. those. I saw, those I saw some strange ones, though. Like, mm-hmm. some that looked like olives with, like, a pimento in the middle. Ooh. Yeah. Steel. I have no idea what it was. I saw some that looked like coral, and when I try to oh, find yeah. it, it's like a, it's a toxic a whole, coral Yeah, mushroom. there's a whole bunch of different coral mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, a lot of them can be really toxic. Really toxic. And yeah. I just, I would not feel comfortable. I wouldn't even harvest reishi by myself yet. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not there with the mushrooms. That's a, right. they're like animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. They yeah. really are. Yeah. And they're amazing. Uh, I saw a lot of... They just look like little button mushrooms. They may have been. I'm not sure. Yeah, we call those LBMs. What's that? Little, little, bu- brown mu- ah! little button mushrooms or little brown <laughs> mushrooms, and they're kind of dangerous. Are they? Because <laughs> they're hard to identify which one. There's right. so many that look like that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. A lot LBMs. of people are growing, like, in towns, they're growing shiitakes and stuff in Virginia, I'm finding, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. But not out in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we're we're running out of time here. We should probably wrap it up. Um, was there anything else, any particular pieces of advice you would give to people who are particularly, especially herbal advice for people hitting the trail? Go out there and do it. <laughs> Go hit the trail. Keep your mind open. Keep your eyes open. You know, mm-hmm. be aware of the plants that are around you and just get to know them. You know, like take a field guide. Do some writing. I, it's all very general advice, but it's it's an experience that I would not trade for anything and anything else in the world. And I just really think that if anybody has a desire to go out and spend a lot of time in nature and commune with it, it enriches your life in such a way that I don't think anything else really could. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a better herbalist now, even though I didn't use a lot of herbalism on the trail. I did talk to a ton of people about plants, about endangered species, about, you know, all kinds of stuff, and I did get to do a little bit of practicing. But I'm a better herbalist now. I'm inspired. I have great ideas for what I'm going to do when I'm done traveling, you know, mm-hmm. to become a better herbalist and share this gift with the world. That's what it is. It's a gift. You got your feedback. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really, nice. really looking forward to it. I feel nice. inspired. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great. Yeah, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Now it's time for Herbalism and Homesteading News. Today I'd like to talk about an article that was published by medicalnewstoday.com. And the title of the article is High Levels of Toxic Molds Identified in Herbal Medicines. And surprisingly, it doesn't have an actual byline. 
<laughs> so maybe that's one of the things we can talk about is what I my angle on this article was or what I what I found from this article myself was that it was vague, poorly written and generally seemed to have a strong bias against anything herbal. Mm-hmm. And I think I feel the publisher was really irresponsible in the way they reported the study that they were mm-hmm. talking about because they made it sound like more gentrified as yeah. if it applied across the board when the truth in the matter is after reading it a second time I I, I personally picked up the the University of per- Peshawar pardon me all of you who speak Pakistani out there and and <laughs> I destroyed the name of that uh, university but they're in Pakistan and it said 64 people 64 percent of people in uh, Pakistan use herbal medicine and and who can blame them I mean they've right. got a strong history of that right and then what do they do they go in and they pick out all of these herbs among which licorice okay great opium poppy and, oh. and rin it <laughs> Yeah, so they picked those and they do these studies on them and they found some some uh harmful molds identified in 43% of the of the samples. But where in here does it talk about are these just dried herbs? Are they Obviously they wouldn't be tinctures because Probably tinctures not. don't like foster mold. molds. Right, yeah, it's right. Clearly. Yeah. Well, they said they're in stalls and thing that they had, they had harvested, you know, and the way that they were displayed. It sounded like it was open air markets, uh-huh. like, yeah. you know, because that's where you, I mean, a lot of Could people sure, buy yeah. their stuff there. It's not like they're going to go to the their local Whole Foods, right? You know, right. Or, or their, <laughs> their local Kiva or right. yeah. you know, right. their, their thing. So they're going to where people would, you know, like farmers market essentially. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure that in any given sense, you're going to find some of that stuff. But as a buyer. I mean, you would smell it. I mean, you would. I mean, molds give off a scent, don't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, you would know right away if there's right. something hinky. Yeah. About well, your... and I bought stuff that, from the supermarket that had some spoilage on it, and then I cut that off. Right. Right. And what you, you didn't return it like everybody else? Oh no. yes, I know. Because sterilized society is so healthy. Yay! <laughs> I think the thing I found frustrating with it is one of their paragraphs that they have highlighted in bold, in fact, is this quote: "Despite the risks herbal and medicines may pose, however, they are not well regulated." The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, deem herbal medicines as food products. Therefore, they are not subject to the same testing, manufacturing, and labeling standards as prescription and over-the-counter drugs, end quote. Mm-hmm. And I have problems with, despite the risks, they <laughs> may pose, they are not regulated enough. That sense in itself has got two negatives in it, and mm-hmm. it's not actually contradicting the two pieces he puts sets it up as a contradictory sentence one thing contradicting another but there's no contradiction right. in what he's saying there and then he's claiming that the FDA has something to do with apparently the the herbs that are sold in Pakistan that were part of this this study it doesn't uh-huh. this is a very poorly written bias yeah, study yeah they're making these these parallels that simply don't exist right you know, if the FDA was somehow regulating things in Pakistan then, you know, we might want to take a look at that, you know, that sense of colonization. Right. You know, I mean, the colonization didn't really work that well. You can ask the British about that as far as yeah, working exactly. with Pakistan. But now, we're, now we're, the FDA does regulate the uh, herbs that we have. They're called dietary supplements, and they're regulated as we do food, which is its own, there's yeah, its own, its standards. own set of standards. And people yeah. that are really concerned about it, they can look at their herbs and say, okay, did the, does this company practice, uh, have G, uh, uh, 
what's it called, the good manufacturing practices, the right. GMP, and these companies will right. say right on there, we we have uh, GMP practices that we've set up, and that just means that they have certain standards and they do some kind of testing on their own right. in-house. Larger companies can do that easily. Smaller companies, Smaller maybe companies not may not, or they will, mm -hmm. they'll figure out another way around it, but that doesn't mean they're not regulated at all you have right. to have, you can't put just put something out there without nutritional information right. or exactly i mean this this article in my opinion this is medical news today is a uk united kingdom based company mm -hmm. that reports and considers themselves a leader in reporting on news items that relate to the medical field including pharmaceuticals and all of that mm -hmm. and what they're writing here is very misleading very anti and biased against herbs and the and cultures herbalism. that support them and the in cultures that exactly in pakistan and, and elsewhere it and I, I find that yeah i find that frustrating i think i think i find that as frustrating as the was that the stanford article we discussed or we we talked about discussing that where they the headline was alternative medicine, not real medicine, but oh, the yeah. article was actually about <laughs> how the writer thought that Deepak Chopra was not practicing real medicine. And mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but Deepak Chopra never claimed to be practicing alternative medicine. So far as I can tell you, he, he, he's a spiritual leader. He exactly. He practices yeah. spiritual healing and spiritual leadership, uh -huh. not... You Billy know, Graham he, never claimed, I mean, he claimed yeah. to heal people, but, you know, he didn't say Dr. Billy as in, I'm going to give you a prescription. Right, you know? exactly. So it's, it's, this seems to be like one of those things that it's, it frustrates me as, 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 as herbalists and as people who want to learn, we need to look at these things with a really critical eye. And this mm -hmm. article was written in such a way that it was very, you really had to look at the study to right. see what was the study really about. You had to look a lot more closely and you needed to have some information about how the herbal industry in America really works. Mm -hmm. And the pharmaceutical industry too. And the pharmaceutical Because there's constant stuff that comes out in the news all the time. I mean, in 2012, the Tennessee and I think one of the Carolinas um, sent out, they there was a uh, steroid shot that they were giving to people that right. had made in that area and it gave people meningitis. Yeah. Now, that's exactly. kind of a problem. Yeah. That's exactly. a problem. <laughs> and that needs to be regulated. And it was reported and people did take care of it. And anytime we have right. salmonella outbreaks, it's it, you know, we detect it and right. then we go take care of it. And and this article makes it sound like herbal people are just out there to kill folks and, and irresponsible know, to, irresponsibly and, poisoning them and, and you know, yeah. industries make mistakes. There's no two ways about that. Well, I'm not the, excusing that but the headline is the problem, right? Because right, right. what it's what it, for, for a layperson they're gonna be like well, I'm not going to do herbal medicine. They found toxic molds in it. Yeah, give me exactly. cancer. So that's you know that's the thing is it is it's taking that idea that you can help yourself and moving it even further away mm -hmm. and putting it into somebody else's right yeah. hands, yeah. not your own. Yeah, it regulate the herbal. Uh, supplements that are out there and have the same standards that like vitamin C. So you're going to say, oh, well, vitamin C is clearly going to poison you too because there might be mold in there too. Well, yeah, there might be, but you take a look and, and yeah. you know, like do your homework. That if, Apparently, if don't some... buy vitamin C from Pakistan. Right, don't uh, buy the moldy vitamin C from Pakistan. But <laughs> yeah. I think this would have been a much more um, effective article if they had done the same tests in UK mm -hmm. and the same tests in the US. Mm -hmm. And maybe in Taiwan, which then, is one of their offices are based there. And then Taiwan, right, and, they, and then said, okay, well, here's what we found. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And instead of just saying, 
you know, in, in Pakistan, which is, you know, not necessarily the most developed country in the world, mm-hmm. we found mold in things. Oh, okay, so now we've, we've labeled every herb in the world based on Pakistan's quality. Right. right. Great. On, yeah. on a small select amount of Pakistan's quality. Exactly. I don't even think it was that huge a standpoint. And who uses mm-hmm. rennet other than cheesemakers? Right. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, there, maybe there's something we don't know about Pakistan herbal medicine, but yeah. So, I, Patrick, what would you say is our takeaway from this particular article? It was it was meant to inflame, and it was meant to be um, um, exciting. It wasn't meant to really, really be educational to people. And unfortunately, because it's on the site that it's on, it'll it'll hold weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Fear mongering, yellow journalism. We used to have editors ways. in the world that would question those things. And I don't we know don't what happened anymore. to them anymore. Now it's all about getting the numbers on your website so you can sell the ads on the side. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm thinking that's exactly what Medical News Today is doing because they are definitely loaded with ads. And, yeah, they're not as um, bad as uh, natural news, though. Those people really take careful the now. cake. Oh. Careful now. Careful <laughs> now. I'm sorry, but okay. oh, right. we've had right. some we've had some posts about them before. And go back in our history, and you'll find some fascinating things we've said. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to be upset, all right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Herbalism 101. Candace and Sue answer your questions regarding herbs and herbalism. If you want the dirt on herbs, herbalism, or anything else related, you can send your question using our simple contact form at realherbalismradio.com slash herbalism101. We will do our best to answer your question on a future episode of Real Herbalism Radio. Hey, Sue, today I have a question for you about liniments. It's one of those words I've been hearing since I was a wee little thing. And it seems somewhat vague to me. What exactly is a liniment? Yeah, well, the reason that's vague to you is because it is kind of vague. <laughs> and the it, it's one of those terms that are used in a whole bunch of different cultures, and every culture has their their basic recipe. Mm-hmm. So a liniment is basically just a liquid that you would rub into the skin to relieve pain or stiffness. Okay. And if you're raising horses, for example, there's a whole background wow. of liniments. Liniments are big in the horse They're trade. They're huge. Yeah. And if you had to raise horses and know how expensive everything that they, anything related to a horse is going to be expensive. Right. You know, yeah. they're just... They're very expensive. Yeah, yes. they they will, anytime they even pass gas, everybody gets all upset because you know that's going to be costly. So liniments are really nice to make. You can use a variety of different liquid uh, menstruums as a base. Witch hazel. Uh, I have seen ones that have oil bases right. that people have used. Um, alcohol. Just anything that's going to be quickly absorbed. I've okay. seen even ones that have kind of a pasty look to it. That's a uh, more balm-like. Balm-like, yeah. Um, okay. If they have propolis in it or one of those kind of resin oh, myrrh, yeah. myrrh yeah. then they have to use kind of a thicker base. And sure. that myrrh is not really going to dissolve in witch hazel, for example. No. But it's really good for if you have an infected wound. Sure. You know? So uh, a lot of times they'll have something like uh, cayenne or menthol or some something that would be good analgesic. Okay. So a liniment is just a, a a liquid that can easily be absorbed into the skin for stiffness and pain. So that means that if you are looking for a liniment for your arthritic condition, for self, for instance, Correct. for yourself, mm-hmm. you probably want to take a good look at what's in it just to determine whether it's going to be oily or non-oily mm-hmm. to decide whether that's what you want on your skin. Right, right. Yeah, and, and it's different than... Um, 
a salve because a salve has got some beeswax in it. So right, there'll yeah. be some protectant in there. There are places, like you could put liniments on some of the more open abrasions that you wouldn't want to put a salve in because you don't want to seal it. Right, right. Its point is to absorb quickly. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much, Sue. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Herbalism Radio. Your hosts have been Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. To find more information and recipes from today's show or to leave a comment or suggestion, visit us online at realherbalismradio.com. If you're feeling social, you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thepracticalherbalist. Don't forget to look up our ebooks and herbal folios at amazon.com. Use the search terms Practical Herbalist. This show has been sponsored by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of high-quality organic bulk herbs, gourmet spices, loose-leaf teas, essential oils, herbal extracts, and natural body care ingredients. You can visit them at mountainroseherbs.com. If you'd like to sponsor Real Herbalism Radio, just contact us through our website at realherbalismradio.com slash contact. Until next time, this is Patrick with Real Herbalism Radio and The Practical Herbalist.